So there are, are seasons during the year that are um, ideal for pausing and reflecting and taking stock on where you're at and where you want to be and what changes in your life need to happen to get there. You know, we think of New Year's with all the resolutions of charting a new course as one of those options. Maybe a, a birthday is a prime time to just step back and, and figure out where you're at and, and what you want to do differently. For me, one of the, those prime seasons is the season we're in right now. It's the, the back-to-school season uh, where, where things kind of get back to what I would say is normal, at least for us as a family. There's, there's routine and there's rhythm. And so this is a great opportunity for me to step back and, and think, you know, where am I? Where do I want to be? And what are the things that need to change in my life in order to start taking steps towards where I want to be? We're going to look at a scripture this morning from Jeremiah 32. Uh, and, and the goal of the scripture is for all of us to, to reflect, for us to take that step back and examine where am I? Is there something here in this passage that is speaking to me? I'm the one who now needs discipline. I need correcting. And so we want to hear God's voice. Is there something here for me that is calling me to make a change? Now, I want to just give a heads up about the passage before we look at it. It's a, a heavy passage. There are things written in this passage that are, are hard to hear. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God is confronting his people Israel, and he's announcing his determination to hand them over to the Babylonians. He's saying, this is how I'm going to punish you. This is your soap-in-the-mouth moment. I'm going to hand you over to the Babylonians. In the passage, what's hard for me to hear is God declares that he's angry. And not just angry, he uses the words, I'm furiously angry. And he talks about his great wrath. That's a subject, frankly, I would rather not preach about. I was thinking this morning, this is great. We're going to have some guests here for the first time. And they're going to come here, Pastor Scott, talk about the wrath of God. Come back next Sunday <laughs> for more of that. I, we'd like to talk about the love of God and the grace of God, and the mercy of God and the compassion of God, and rightfully so. Jesus came from the Father full of all of those things, full of grace. He came from the Father full of truth. And so it's right for us to plant our feet in the love of God and the grace and mercy of God, but not at the expense of truth. We need to hear from God what pleases him and what displeases him. He is our loving parent, and because he's our loving parent, he corrects us. It's one of his greatest gifts to us. And so we're going to come and we're going to hear what it is that maybe we've gotten off step. And what is it, Lord, that you need us to, to do to get back on step? So join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, uh, we pray uh, with the psalmist who said, search me and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be picking up the passage Jeremiah 32, verses 1 through 
verse 30. Jeremiah 32, verse 30. <clears throat> so this is the Lord speaking to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but provoke me with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, they turn their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. So we're going we're gonna to pause there. When I first read uh, this passage, this was on the, the Bible recap. If you're reading the Bible through in a year, this was one of our passages this week. When I first read that earlier this week, I thought, God has got to be exaggerating. Like, this has got to be an example of, of hyperbole, where God is overstating the case. I mean, is it really true that Israel has done nothing but evil since the days of their youth? Is that really true, or is God overstating the case? So I thought about that, and then I thought about some other passages of Scripture that I know. There's a couple passages in Romans 3 that I memorized a long time ago. One says this, there is nobody righteous, not even one. There is nobody who seeks God. All have turned away. Wow. And then that's followed up by this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My guess is that's a verse that you've heard. You might have that verse memorized as well. Those verses roll off my tongue so easily. Nobody seeks God, nobody's righteous, for all have sinned, we all fall short, it is what it is. And, and what I'm wondering this morning is maybe I've grown a little bit flippant. Maybe we've all grown a little bit glib in regard to, to our sin, this fact that we're all sinners. The people have done evil, God says, time and time again. They've provoked me over and over. One of the ways God says they've provoked me is with what their hands have made. So God's people, let's remember who this is. These are the people whose ancestors were brought out of Egypt, experiencing some of the most powerful miracles that anybody has ever experienced. God leads them out of Egypt, and right away, one of the first miracles is this splitting the, the sea, and they go through on dry ground. Imagine that. Walking through on dry ground, seeing this wall of water on either side, knowing that it is God who is, is doing this. And with the snap of fingers, it all could come crashing over you. And then they're hungry, and so what does God do? He provides this bread from heaven. Every morning, bread comes down from heaven and covers the earth. Can you imagine? And they're thirsty, and so what does God do? He turns a rock into a water fountain. 
I mean, God provides for them in the most miraculous of ways. This is the God that they have seen firsthand for whom nothing is too difficult. I mean, worship the king, oh, glorious above. You would think that would just pour out of them. And so here we see that, that the people have turned from this amazing, miracle-working God, and they are worshiping something that they made out of a tree. In the history of bad trades, there's been a lot of bad trades. In the history of bad trades, this is the worst trade ever. To turn from the almighty God, to turn from the creator of the tree to something I make out of the tree. Now, it's really easy for us to think that doesn't apply to us. Nobody here probably has a wooden statue in their house that they are going home and and bowing before and praying to and, and worshiping. But if we think that, what we're doing is missing the point. Because it's not about the the wooden statue as it is as much about God is angry because his people who he has called to trust him are now trusting something else. Trusting something that they have a little more control over. Trusting something that they have made. And so all we need to do is replace wooden idol with what those things are for us. Those things that yearn for our trust. So go ahead and replace wooden idol with I don't know what it is for you. Job? 401k? Replace wooden idol with country. Replacing my my hope in the country. Replace it with my my health. Replace it with my ingenuity, my, my intellect, my ability to provide for myself. Replace it with my health. Replace it with pleasure. Replace it with my my religiosity. My ability to be good. What we discover is that there are just as many idols today vying for our affection as there were in Jeremiah's day. When we, as believers who have tasted the goodness of God, when we who have experienced his faithfulness, when we who have received such an amazing revelation as his word, When we turn from from this God and we make a trade and trust in anything else, no matter what that is, it's a bad trade. It's a really bad trade. And what God is saying to us in Jeremiah is that it provokes him. Quite simply, it makes him angry, furiously angry. You shall have no other gods before me, declares the Lord. Now, what we know is that that God is jealous for our love. He's like like the spouse who does not want to see his other spouse going out somewhere else. He's jealous for our love. Well, how do you identify the idols in your own heart? And I think we all have them. One of the ways we identify them is by asking this question. What do you do when life gets hard? To whom or to what do you turn when life gets hard? That may expose what are the things that you're, you're really trusting in. Let's return to the scripture. He says, these people have provoked me with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. The city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. 
The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. Their kings, their officials, their priests and prophets, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. It's interesting that nobody is excused from that list of God's accusation that you've provoked me to anger. But he does make a special note to, to comment on the leaders. The kings, he starts with, the officials, the priests, the prophets, the men of Judah, and finally, all the people of Jerusalem. One of, one of the things I think that the scripture is telling us is this sobering truth that, that leaders, community leaders, spiritual leaders, they bear a significant responsibility. We are charged in the scripture to pray for our leaders because of the, the weight, the burden of that responsibility that our leaders are called to carry. If you've been reading uh, through your Bible with the Bible recap and you read Kings and you read Chronicles, you read about this long line of kings. And with every single one, the author tells us one of two things. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They feared the Lord. Every king, we're told, they either were a king who did evil in the eyes of the Lord or they were a king who feared the Lord. And what we see is that when the king did evil in the eyes of the Lord, there were consequences for the people. And when you had a good king, there, was, there were consequences for the people. The world, this is not going to come as a surprise, the world is in need of godly leaders. The church is in need of godly leaders. Our communities are in need of godly leaders. Our families are in need of godly leaders. We call them parents. I think if, if you and I could physically see the influence that we have, like as you live your life, if you could physically see like the circle of where your influence extends and the people that are impacted by you, if you were visibly aware of that, I think it might change the way we all show up. I'd be much more mindful of, of the influence I have and, and wanting to be sure that I'm using that influence to, to push people towards God and, and not away from God. It's this next accusation in the, uh, the scripture that most caught my attention uh, this past week. God goes on to say this, these people, they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I've taught them over and over again, they won't listen and they haven't responded to discipline. So for me personally, this season, this season we're in right now is a great opportunity to step back and examine where I'm at, examine the rhythms and routines of my life, and figure out in what ways am I turning my back towards God? And what are the opportunities to turn my face more towards God? And so for me, these are some of the things that that means. That means building into the rhythm of my day just regular time to sit unhurried before God. That means for me being quicker to, to confess my sin rather than wallowing in shame so that I can get back on track with God. That means for me carrying my burdens quickly to God before trying everything else and then only coming to God 
as a last resort when everything else doesn't work. For me, that means being in closer relationship with other believers who have the same aspiration to, to follow God more faithfully. It means worship that is not perfunctory, that is not just going through the motions, but worship that is, is genuine, humble adoration. For me, it means hiding God's word in my heart, meditating on it, memorizing it. That's what it means for me to turn my face more towards God. I wonder, what does it mean for you? What's needed for you right now to, to take a step, to turn your face more towards God? It's interesting that God created this world in such a way that he gave us the choice. Like right now, you're all facing me, but you don't have to be. Somebody could turn around and look the other way, or you could get up and walk out. God's given us all that ability. We can, we can turn the other way. We can, we can walk out on him. So we get to choose. Am I going to take a step that is going to move me closer to him, or am I going to take a step that's going to move me a little further away from him? I think about this morning. There were people who woke up all across the world. Take time zones out of the equation. And the Spirit was telling them, go to church. I want you to go to your, your local church and be with the, the, the body of Christ and worship me. The Spirit was telling them, and, and a lot of those people did. They obeyed the Spirit, and they went to, to church this morning to worship the Lord. They took one small step towards God, towards facing God. And there were people that heard that same voice and, and for whatever reason decided no. And, and it was just one very, very small step. In the grand scheme of things, no big deal. One, one small step. But our life ends up being just a series of little steps and it ends up making our life. What is the Spirit calling you to do to take one small step to turn your face more towards him in this season? Fortunately for all of us, God does get angry, but the scripture says he's slow to anger. He's amazingly patient. I taught them again and again and again, he said, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't respond. They just continually kept turning their back toward me. God is slow to anger, but it doesn't mean he never gets there. He, he does get anger. Listen to verse 37. I will banish them, he says, in my furious anger and my great wrath. Those are our frightening verses. It's almost as if God is saying, they've turned their back to me. Fine. I'm going to turn my back to them. Can you imagine anything more frightening than God turning his back on his people? Now, friends, I, I want to say that God doesn't do that. It's almost like he's saying that, but he's not saying that. Look, listen to how the scripture continues. Listen to, to verse 36. You're saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it's going to be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says 
I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so they will always fear me for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I'll never stop doing good to them and I'll inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. This is a picture of the God who never lets go of his children. Every once in a while we sing that song, oh, you never let go, you never let go of me. This is the picture of the God who never lets go of his children. Though you are faithless, though you turn your back on me, I will always be faithful. I will never turn my back on you. We as parents know that when we discipline our children, when we correct them, we are doing that because we know that that's what's in their best interest. It's in their best interest. It was in my best interest as a child to learn not to talk back and to learn not to be disrespectful and to learn not to fight with my sister. Those were all good things that I needed to learn. God disciplines us because he knows what's best for us. One of the most frightening things in the world would be a God who didn't discipline his children. Like when God finally says, I'm done. When we no longer experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's when we should be afraid. In Hebrews, we read it this way. It says, my children, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Like don't treat it as no big thing because he disciplines who? Those he loves. The fact that you may hear the conviction of the Spirit about something in your life that's not right, that is God's love. That's his demonstration of his love. So even in his anger, God is expressing love to us. I want to close with uh, two thoughts. One is about next steps. First is about next steps. The next step you choose to make during this season is either going to move you just one step towards him or one step away from him. And it may be the smallest of steps. But remember, our life is made up of just a series of small steps. So the smallest decision that you may make now is, is a huge decision. It's a huge decision. What am I going to do during this time right now? What is the Spirit telling me to take one more active step towards him, to turn my face towards him? My second thought is this. God doesn't turn his back to us. We turn our back to him. But God doesn't turn his back to us. But it's only because God turned his back on his son. We, we need to hear that. Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back to me? It's because God was executing his justice that we deserve not on us, but on Jesus. And so it's because God turned his back to Jesus that now he stays facing us, always with open arms, always ready to receive us back. 
The next step for somebody here today who is not trusted in Jesus is precisely that. Because the only way you can turn and face God is through Jesus the Son. We must have Jesus as our Savior. And so I'm going to end on that note. I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to pray that, uh, that we would turn our, our hearts towards God, that we're going to welcome Jesus as our Savior. And if that's you today, you know that I need uh, a Savior. I invite you to pray in your heart with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that out of love you sent your son to this world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to condemn me, but to, to save me. And Jesus, you, you took the punishment that was rightfully mine and you bore it yourself on the cross. So Lord, I, I trust you as my, my Savior and my Lord take over my life. And Father, we pray uh, again the prayer of the psalmist, examine us. Lord, we pray that you wouldn't take your Holy Spirit from us, but your voice would be loud in our ears as to, to which way you would have us go. If there's something that's not right in our life, if there's a course correction that needs to happen, Lord, we want to hear that. Your children are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.